the position that I was in where I had to kick it in at the end of a marathon, at the end of a 112 mile bike, at the end of a two and a half mile swim was like, I envisioned that scenario every single time I was out training is exactly where I wanted to be. And uh, fortunately it, it pulled together and was able to get it done, but it was, uh, it was a really cool day. Welcome back to the show. Today, my guest is John Richardson. John was the 300th American to run a sub four minute mile back in 2008. And since that time, he's become a decorated runner. John was a two time SEC champion and qualified for the Ironman World Championships this year. We talk a lot about his current training regimens, how he views recovery as an aging athlete, and how he believes mindset is the ultimate driver of success in athletics, business, and life. John manages to balance his demanding training with being a father and a successful real estate agent. John has spent a ridiculous amount of time at Disney World with his kids over the last year, and we dive into why John is so adamant about making the most out of the next few years of his kid's life. This was a fun conversation for me, and I know you'll love it. Enjoy the show. Hey everyone, real quick before we dive into the episode, you probably heard about this podcast directly from someone else or saw it shared on social media. We can only grow, spread our message further, and keep bringing in awesome and amazing guests with your help. If you could take five seconds and hop on whatever podcast platform you're using and leave us a review, it would mean the world to us. On to the show. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, happy to be here. Yeah, man. It's a beautiful morning. It is. It's beautiful here in Ponte Vedra. Is it uh, beautiful where you are? Uh, yeah, I'm in West Grove, Pennsylvania, and it's uh, it's it's been amazing. My wife and I just got a brand new set outside with some nice chairs, and they kind of like face the sun off the deck. So I was like out there this morning with a blanket reading. I was like, dude, this is the life. That's awesome. Um, every morning I wake up, the first thing I do is just thank God for air in my lungs and blood in my veins. Every day I wake up is a gift, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I've been doing cold showers in the morning, mostly because there's no guarantee I got much sleep with the kid. <laughs> so it's like my way of like being like, okay, cool. Like you're up no matter what, you know, and it's like the shock to the system. I feel like I make every excuse in the book and then I hit that the cold water hits me for like five minutes and I'm like, all right, cool. It doesn't matter. You're moving. You know? Yeah. Have you been doing cold, cold showers for a while? I have. So yeah, I was doing it for a few months leading up to my daughter being born and, and it's just been like a godsend since she's been here. But uh, I find it tremendously helpful just kind of like hit that switch. I've never been a huge morning person, but I love time to myself. And for the longest period of time that was that fell more towards the nighttime. And then as I started picking up with work, opened a second business, um, it really put the demands on me to have to get up earlier and earlier. It just became mm -hmm. part of my reality. And uh, the cold showers were like an, a huge integral part of, of being able to accomplish that and not just be like a complete miserable mess. <laughs> cold showers are like, are like, you know, anything that's hard, it's never a uh, regret after it's over, but doing it, you're just like, why, why, why would I do this? <laughs> but it's so yeah. 
I had just uh, yesterday, I inter- interviewed a guy um, named, named Matt, Matt Trenard, and he became basically pretty popular on Instagram for the past six years. He he fixed some um, autoimmune conditions that he had uh, through doing ice baths in the morning. Mm. And then he decided to start more or less recording him doing this and giving talks while he was doing it. And it became his thing. And uh, I asked him, I was like, so like on an average morning, you know, on a scale of one to 10, one being like, I absolutely would rather die than get in this tub. And a 10 being like, okay, like I can deal with the cold for a few minutes. Like, where do you fall? And he's like, it's almost always a five. Okay. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I feel like he's been doing it for six years. So it's like, I don't think we ever actually want to get in the water. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, it's always, it's kind of like, you're a runner, which we'll talk about here a lot in a second, but it's like, it's like sprint intervals, right? Like, there's just disgusting paces and intervals that you can run that like you never actually want to run. It's like the the feeling of having done it and the feeling of like accomplishing something is what we really chase. But like being in the middle of that and you have that like you hit that lactic threshold and you got that muscle burn you just like can't get rid of. Mm-hmm. Like that sucks. Like in the moment that sucks. And I, I would right. equate that to what it what it's like being in ice water. Yeah. Well, people always ask like you know, when does it get easy? And I'm like, never, <laughs> you know, it doesn't, you just get more fit and then it gets harder. I, and I, it sounds like ice baths, um, same thing. I mean, the water doesn't get colder. I, I don't suppose, but it's just miserable. Uh, always. It sounds like. Sure. Yeah. And well, and I think that that's why it's just that much more important to accept that you never want it to actually get easy. Right. Hard things are good things. Yeah. Yeah. I think Alex Hermosi, you know, quote was quoted recently saying like, um, like this is what hard feels like whenever mm-hmm. you're going through something tough, like reminding yourself of the fact that like, this is what makes you something worthwhile, <laughs> right? Like right. being okay with it. Yeah. Yeah. No matter what in life, you're going to have hard things. And if you can battle test them when the stakes are pretty low, you'll be hardened for when the stakes are high. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. Resiliency, man. Well, <laughs> Hey, uh, John, I really appreciate you coming on. I love that. We just dove right into conversation here. Um, you know, you and I, had a chance off mic to kind of get to know each other quite a bit. Um, and, and for me to get a little bit more information on your story, um, you were the 300th American to run a sub four minute mile. Was this something that you were aiming for? Or was this something that became as a byproduct of you training for other track events? It's definitely something that I thought about. So I, I ran um, a sub five minute mile when I was in middle school. And I think around that time is when I started to be like, okay, I'm, I'm pretty good at this. And up until that point, up until like, I think my eighth grade year of middle school, um, I hadn't been a great track athlete. And in fact, I actually got cut from the middle school track team when I was in sixth grade, which when I think back on it, it's shocking that a middle school cut kids that wanted to run track, but I was cut. And um, I think that at the time I didn't become like a life lesson, but I, I do remember going to the coach and being like, why, why didn't I make it? Like, Um, there was a sense of, I'm going to stick up for myself, a sense of like, I want this now I'm going to pursue it. And, um, that I don't think was like a super pivotal moment, right. When I look back on it, my whole life changed, but I think that that did shape that, you know, I, I can, um, change the future if I take ownership of it. So rather than just quit and never run track again, I was like, no, I want to make the team next year. So I started thinking about that. Then, um, when I ran the sub five minute mile and, and had success at track, that was what I decided I wanted to do in high school wasn't going to be playing soccer. It was going to be focusing on running. And, uh, around that same time, I started just paying attention to professional track and field, collegiate track and field, and identified myself as a miler and thought, yeah, it would be really cool someday 
to run sub four minutes for a mile. And uh, it happened my senior year of college. And one of the things about track and field is like you can be in shape to run a certain time. Same thing with like Olympic weightlifting or, you know, any sport where you have a really small window of opportunities to do something like you could be super strong, you could be super fit, but you have to do it on that day for it like to legitimately count. So I had been in shape to run a sub four minute mile for a couple of years at different times, but I had never done it in a race. So that day, you know, I woke up feeling really good and uh, ended up running sub four and it was great. I mean, it's definitely um, something to hang my hat on in terms of like feeling personal accomplishment. I think it's something that people uh, acknowledge as an athletic feat that kind of stands alone on its own and people understand it. Everybody's run a mile at some point in their life. They associate sub four minutes with success. It's not like, um, you know, like the equivalent deadlift or something like that might just get lost in uh, people's perceptions of what is hard, right? They can't even understand how good it would be. But I think the mile is something that people do. So it's definitely a cool thing that I'm proud of. And it was uh, something I identified for a long time. Yeah, that's an interesting approach. I mean, it is so true that I think of this every time the Olympics are on and people watch something like Olympic weightlifting and they just have like, there's no, they're completely out of touch of how difficult the mm -hmm. thing that is being accomplished on the screen looks so simple. Like, and I think that's part of the problem is they make it look so easy that people like, people don't just like lose a sense of appreciation for how crazy some of those numbers are. But because right. most people had to run a mile at some point in, in their, you know, elementary and, and middle school and high school gym classes, they can appreciate the speed that it must take to run a sub four minutes. Yeah, totally. And, you know, the what's interesting is that sub four minutes happens all the time now. Like high school kids now are running sub four minutes like regularly. And that is a whole nother thing about technology. But the um, achievement of itself is relatively common in terms of like the higher echelon track and field, but there's still something that's super satisfying for anybody that does it. Even if like, like when I did, I think I was 10th on the descending order list in the NCAA, you know, it was a top 10 NCAA time. Now it might be a top 70 time, but still mm -hmm. people chase it as if it were still like this Holy grail. So it's, it's sure. stood the test of time. Yeah. And well, every, every sport has those metrics that end up becoming um, kind of landmarks, if you mm -hmm. will. Um, so I was going to ask you, you know, coming from more of a weightlifting background myself, th there are, there's always numbers in, in all of our pursuits that end up being the things that taunt and tease us. So for instance, like for me, it was like a 275 pound snatch, right? Or it was like a 350 pound clean. There were, there were numbers that for the longest time I would like flirt with and get close to, and then would fall back down underneath. Right. And my training cycles would be this constant battle with those numbers. And, and over time they begin to taunt you. Were there any times for you that were really hard to get underneath with running? Um, you know, fortunately, I think I was on, I finished my career, like on the better side of any metric, like the you know, sub eight minutes for 3000, I hit that sub 150 for an 800. I hit that one that uh, I wish now, I didn't care as much at the time, but like, I wish I had run a sub 14 minute 5k, never did that, but I was relatively close. Um, if I was on the wrong side of four minutes, I think it would eat me up, right? If I had finished at like four minutes 0.1 or something, like I, I would have a tough time. Uh, I mean, I'd, I'd live with it, right? Like I, I wouldn't have a choice, but uh, I'm glad that I'm on the right side of it. Yeah, the, there was the documentary that came out probably a couple of years ago now, 
about the um, the guy. They were creating basically perfect conditions for him to try to run a sub uh, two hour marathon. Mm-hmm. And I believe the his first attempt, he ran like. 23 seconds over. Yeah. I was like, dude, like if you spread that out over two hours, like, like think about that. It's wild. Right. And yeah. it, I was so, I, I thought that he was so humble, like humbled. And in the way that he, he talked about it afterwards is, is he basically said like, I just, I am the one that will demonstrate to others that we're this close. Like it's, where mm-hmm. it's possible. And he's like, I hope that my effort will be the leverage needed to get somebody else to, to convince themselves to train, to accomplish it. And I love that because like, to your point, like it would eat, it probably eats him up to this day, you know? And I do think he actually went back and finished, Yeah, uh, he did. but he in, in that first, the first attempt where they documented and there was this two hour documentary on it. He, he failed by like 20 some seconds. And I just remember watching this and being so heartbroken for him. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a moment in that race where he like still believed he could do it. And then like it crossed over to like, it's not going to happen, but I still have to finish and it still sucks no matter what. <laughs> like right, after two right. hours struggling, you're just coming in, still trying to run fast because it's the fastest anybody's ever run, but you're not achieving what you wanted. I- I'm sure that was a bittersweet moment. And, you know, he has since uh, run sub two hours, but that like you were talking about how it makes other people believe something's possible. Like the marathon world record's just gone nuts since that happened. Sure. Well, and I think it was back in the early 1900s when the first sub four minute mile was broken because it was there was a guy basically there was a bunch of they weren't even exercise scientists because they didn't exist back then. But but basically there were like physiologists um, and people in the sports world that believed that it was not just physically impossible that but like you could die in attempting Mm -hmm. a sub four minute mile. And then once it got broken it got broken a ton. So like someone broke the barrier and then you just see this like wave of followers that also accomplish it. Right. And I think that just speaks so highly to the importance of somebody being brave enough to try to attack something like that because they open the door for other people. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, it was in the middle, it was in 19, I think it's, it might've been 54, 55, 56, somewhere in there that Rogers Bannister broke four for the first time. But like mm-hmm. the world record was in the mid three fifties shortly, you know, just relatively few amounts of years after that. Like, um, and you see it in the gym too, like, like whenever there's like a muscle up programmed or something and, you know, one person gets their first muscle up and like five other people do in later classes. Cause you know, there's something about, uh, you know, you don't want somebody else to have success and you don't, you know, there's a, a, a competition component to human nature that really comes out when you see somebody else do something. Yeah, no doubt. Now you went on to uh obviously like you you took these accomplishments from middle school high school um and found a love for for track and and field and and took it to college with you and and you became a a two-time sec champion and are now pursuing um some ironman events and you you just recently qualified for um is it the ironman world championships yeah um i I competed in ironman florida in november of 2022 and that qualified me for the Ironman World Championships in Kona, Hawaii. Um, long backstory of some things that have happened with Ironman, but uh, I'll be competing in Kona in October 2024. So I have an Ironman coming up in four weeks in Tulsa and I may qualify for the World Championships in 2023 at that one. But no matter what, uh, I will be competing at Kona in 2024. And that was... um. Ryan, like when you talk about having a goal and like being like really fixated on something and it uh, like um, 
uh, Derek, um, when you want something to uh, happen and you really become fixated on the outcome, like the focus that you get from having that one thing, I hadn't felt that in a really long time, like maybe even more than when I was in college focusing on sub four minute mile. And I don't know what it was about Kona qualifying for it. Um, it was just really cool as like an adult that was like way past athletic prime that I never thought I was going to be competitive at something again. I never thought I would like have a coach and train for something to like rekindle that competitive spirit. It was really neat. And on that day, like it came together, um, not well, like it wasn't good at all, but it came together well enough for me to finish. And I always thought, uh, like, you know, it's a 10 hour race. I, I barely, I, I was like nine fifty five or something that I finished and I had sprinted all the way to the finish, right? Like it was one of those things where I had to sprint into, to qualify. And after nine and a half hours, the last thing you want to do is like work hard to finish like fast. Um, but what I realized is like, that's exactly what I wanted, right? That was the, the position that I was in where I had to kick it in at the end of a marathon, at the end of a 112 mile bike, at the end of a two and a half mile swim was like, I envisioned that scenario every single time I was out training is exactly where I wanted to be. And, uh, Fortunately, it, it pulled together and was able to get it done, but it was a, uh, it was a really cool day. I'm sure it was a hell of an experience. Now, as, as a strength coach myself, I'll admit that running is probably lowest on the totem pole in terms of things that I not just understand, but have this desire to understand, but I do listen to a, a lot of podcasts, um, to learn more about running, running efficiency and on both ends of the spectrum, right? Everything from like sprinting all the way up through uh, Ironman and some of these longer kind of, uh, uh, you know, ultra marathonists. And one of the things that I've taken away from it is that they all recommend that although you may be, you're, you might have your sights set on ultra marathons and these longer distances, that one of the best things you can do for yourself as a runner is to develop your speed. Now, would you say that your early years of developing those fours, eights, twelves, and sixteens, uh, you know, in terms of your your top end speed, ultimately have kind of helped you as you've as you as you've like transferred into these longer events? Yeah, one hundred percent. So um, I have obviously like a long running background, right? I ran competitively from fourteen to twenty four at you know the highest domestic level that that you could be at. But what I think really has helped me as an adult moving into a brand new sport of triathlon was the 10 years that I did CrossFit in between that, right? Like coming from this big endurance background, I never really lost that, right? I could tap into that when I needed to, but then having like the posterior chain strength, having just strong shoulders for swimming has one kept me like injury free, knock on wood, as I've been doing these, this training, the bulk of the training. But then also I think I'm at a huge competitive advantage because I can still deadlift, you know, twice my body weight or whatever, you know, I, I'm just way stronger than most of these endurance triathletes that are like, quite frail, to be honest. Yeah, there's, um, I, I think you're starting to see this to become a, a much more common theme, which is there are people that are just almost like disproving the physics that we once thought were necessary in order to be able to accomplish certain things. You know, I think of someone like a Nick bear mm -hmm. who is now doing these ultra marathons all while doing these, like these like intermittent, like uh, bodybuilding preps. Yeah. So you look being, at him and you're like, right. You're like bodybuilder, right? You see him and mm -hmm. you immediately think bodybuilder. And then you realize like, 
okay, he runs like 20 miles for fun on Saturday mornings. (laughs) These two things do not go together. I think we're seeing Mm -hmm. this whole new wave of athlete and what they're, what people are able to accomplish. Yeah, I agree. Um, It just shows, and maybe it's a move away from specialization, right? Like, cause he's not obviously running the fastest marathon, but what I think it's showing is that you can be super well-rounded at like the 95th percentile of like 10 different things. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that transfers to, to business as well, but I don't want to go too deep down that rabbit hole just yet. Sure. Um, so what other, you know, you spoke about CrossFit and I know you got into that back in and around the same time that I had in that like 2009, 10, 11 range. Um, what do you do now to kind of supplement your strength for your Ironman training? So I'm uh, heavily involved in an organization called F3, which stands for Fitness Fellowship and Faith. It's a men's leadership group where we meet in the mornings and do various types of workouts, mainly like boot camp style stuff. Uh, so I, I do boot camps two days a week. It's a lot of burpees, pushups, um, air squats, you know, like CrossFit gymnastics and mobility type stuff. Uh, and then every once in a while, I'll get an itch to like power clean or squat. Um, I'm in the bulk of Ironman training right now, so I'm not doing a whole lot of weights because it's mainly just a time thing, not that I, I don't want to. But in the off season, I would mix in probably like, I, I call it functional bodybuilding, I guess, and mobility. Um, my favorite lift, though, is power cleans. Like if I could just do a 20-minute EMOM of like two power cleans, that would be like my go-to. <laughs> so we just got to find you an Ironman where they just have like every mile, you got to do 10 power cleans. Yeah. Just like one power clean at like 225 every mile, I, like, I might win the thing. <laughs> I wonder if I ran that event, like how confused the, the sign up would be. up and be like, what do you want me to do with this? Roll it the rest of the way? <laughs> but that's, but again, like that speaks to the ne- necessity of being well-rounded. Obviously, mm-hmm. you're going to look at the top 10% of people at that, at that Ironman that are actually there to try to put together a competitive time and potentially win. But then you look at the rest and it's like, maybe it would behoove you to also do the supplemental strength and, and conditioning type, you know, training. hundred percent. And that's such a good point. Like if you want to be tip of the spear, super specialized, right? Just run, bike, swim, maybe stretch and do some, you know, lightweight exercise, you know, lightweight um, calisthenics or something. But like, if you just want to be a generally healthy, like GPP style and also excel at, triathlon, you'd probably be better off swim, bike, running less and just getting stronger. Yeah. Well, and that's why I got to take my hat off to CrossFit. I mean, that's just, they came in and revolutionized this space. And I think, you know, not to say that, that, you know, people like Nick bear wouldn't have done it without that, that early presence of CrossFit. But I think that they were transformative in the way that they kind of showed up into the exercise science space and, and flipped it on its, on its head and said, Hey, like, we have guys and girls that can, you know, run a sub five minute mile and, and deadlift 500 or 315 for the girls respectively um, at the same time, you know, or within the same, like within the same hour, whatever it is. And it's like some of these accomplishments that you're seeing these athletes be able to pull off. It's just demonstrative of like, not just the importance, but the capacity for the human body. Like we've never seen it before. Absolutely. I'm a, like, I see it in my training with Ironman, like the things that, I can do now. And they're not like, um, necessarily like standalone achievement wise, just what my body's able to do and able to recover. Like one humans are incredible, like endurance machines. But then when I see like what CrossFit athletes were able to do, and you know, when you look back at like 2010, 2011, yeah, like at some of the events, they weren't very good, right? Like they weren't running very fast, but now they are. 
Now they're running like legit sub six minute 5Ks. Like they'd be fast enough. Like the top athletes could go win a local road race. And then they could also win a local powerlifting meet or an Olympic lifting meet or like do really well in gymnastics. Like there's nothing that they're not good at. It's so funny you point that out because anytime at the CrossFit Games there is a new movement or modality introduced, it's always a laughing stock inside of the communities where that is their tip of the spear, where mm -hmm. it's like that is their specificity, that is their thing. And I always think to, to myself, give them three years, <laughs> like give them a couple years to play with it, right? Because it's usually like, for instance, they'll do like whatever, a half marathon row. And every for the most part, like you see people out there like chafing because they weren't prepared. They're under fueled because they didn't realize how long the event was going to be. People's biceps are cramping up. Like you see all this weird stuff going on and it's like, okay, wait until they repeat this in a few years and people actually start training some of these longer endurance events on a single modality and watch how close they get to tickling like the top 10% of times in the world. It's nuts. Yeah, it happens in every single thing that they've introduced. They, they just get insanely good at. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a, it's a spectacle, but in, in all the best ways possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, do you still, um, I imagine you do owning a gym, follow like, CrossFit games and everything? Yeah, I mean, I'll always have a passion and a love for the CrossFit games. Um, you know, I, I I definitely think that it's it's a really uphill, steep uphill battle for them to to climb in that they have this uh these these competing efforts in in branding themselves for the games and for the sport of CrossFit and then for the the vision and the health of the, you know, the greater population, mm -hmm. the wellness side of things. And I think that that's, that's a really hard thing. I, I, I do not envy their PR department um, because it's, it, it's very difficult. Right. And, and I think th the, there's been this like ebb and flow where those two things have kind of come together at a certain point and then they come away at a certain point and back together. And like, I can't even say being in this game for, for now almost 12 years as an affiliate owner, I don't know the perfect combination. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know how much influence we really should want from the games into the health and wellness side. And I don't know how much the health and wellness side should influence the games. It's hard, you know, and I, I think there's no perfect answer, which is why you're never going to please everybody. Yeah, I agree hundred percent. When that, when the CrossFit health started kicking off, I'm like, that's really cool. And that's really important. And I saw it then it's like, how, how are you going to do both of these? Cause they're completely opposites. Like the games, is trying to be like tip of the spear, very specific on performance and CrossFit health and wellness and general physical preparedness of everyday gym goer. You know, they're not necessarily at odds, they complement each other, but like what's CrossFit's identity gonna be? Sure, right, and you can talk about it on a grander scale in terms of just the perception of the games versus the perception of the health and wellness side of things. And you can also talk it inside, about it inside of the affiliate, like how much motivation does watching the games or having the open or having people inside of the gym take attempts uh, at local competitions and train for specific things motivate the other people inside of the gym, right? So it's like they may recognize that, hey, maybe I shouldn't be doing a 21-15-9 with like deadlifts at my body weight and, and you know, X, Y, and Z high skill gymnastics movements, but I can at least be an admiration of the fact that people are working towards that and then come here and, and get put forth my own form of intensity. It might look very different from you, but I'm motivated by seeing what is possible, you know? Yeah. So like, I do believe some of that exists and 
unfortunately, you know, ego can take people sometimes a little bit deeper in those waters than they should go, but it's the job of the gym and the owners and the, and the coaches to kind of reel people back in and make sure everyone understands their place in that. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so at the moment you said mostly you're spending your time outside of running, uh, you know, doing some strength and conditioning, but you mentioned that it's because you're somewhat limited by the amount of time that the other training takes you. So you're in the middle of a training block right now. What does that typically look like for you on not just on, not on the strength side, but on the actual running, biking, swimming side? Yeah. I'll just take you through this week. So I'm four five weeks out from Ironman Tulsa right now. Um, based on my training, it's anywhere between 15 and 17 hours a week, which um, for a competitive triath competitive Ironman athletes, probably somewhere in like the middle to high end, right? Like pro athletes, obviously are going to do way more. A weekend warrior is going to do way less. I'm self-employed. So I have the opportunity to be sort of flexible with my training. I don't have to cram it all in onto the weekends. Um, but Monday, usually a swim and a run, uh, anywhere between 3,000 and 4,000 yards swimming, 10 miles running. Tuesday is usually a hard bike ride, probably somewhere between 30 and 40 miles of biking and then a short run off of the bike. Yesterday, uh, I did a long run, so I ran 17 miles in the morning and then swam 3,000 yards in the afternoon. Today, uh, 4,200 yards swimming. Um, I'll go after um, we chat to the pool, do that, and then I'll bike an hour easy, like real easy in the afternoon. And then tomorrow I've got a long, uh, probably 90 mile bike and then, uh, four to five miles off of the bike. Saturday will be an easy run. And then Sunday I'll do a running workout. So no, no real rest days, but like, you know, you train your body to be used to doing just this like insane stuff when it's just an easy hour bike or easy hour run. It feels like a rest day. So I got two questions off of that. The first one being, um, what, of all of that, what do you find the hardest for you? Good question. The hardest for me competitively has been the bike. Like I just, for some reason, I don't, I, I don't know why I'm not better at it. And I say that like with a bunch of humility for the fact that like, obviously I just got into the sport. So there's a lot of reasons why I'm not good at it. But I think about like, you know, I can back squat pretty well. Um, I have strong legs. I've got a great engine from running. Like why is it not carrying over to the bike? And I haven't quite figured that out yet, but I know that I'm biking a ton and that's becoming, um, a strength as much as the other sports are. Uh, so biking was the hardest to adjust to from a training perspective. I think I like swimming the least training. I love swimming, like just go in the ocean and surf or like body surf or just be in water. Awesome. I hate, I don't, I want to say hate. I just don't like the structure around swimming because everything is literally like a workout. And, um, I view like working out, uh, kind of like artistically, like when we, when you are chatting offline, you talked about programming, you really enjoy programming. I kind of like that too, but I like doing it sort of in the moment based on how my body feels. One of the things that's been adjustment to triathlon is that it's so regimented, like everything is a workout and swimming specifically, like, you know, you have a list like this long and it's like drills, warmups, reps, blah, blah, blah on the send off certain times. And like, to me, I'm like, ah, I just want to like exercise. Um, right. So in other words, like you just want to kind of get lost in what it is that you're doing and yeah. not have to be so fixated on your splits. Yeah. And, and swimming especially has a lot of structure to it, which that's how you get better at swimming. Right. So I acknowledge that if I want to be good at triathlon, I have to do this specific thing in a way that's going to yield 
the best result for you know me to maximize on on race day. But, Give an example, like what what kind of structure uh, is put in place for your swimming? Uh, so there's always a warm up, and the warm up will be you know I'm just making it up now, but it, it it's probably coming from a real one. They had 400 yard freestyle. Then it'd be like 300 yards where you pull. So like you put a buoy in, so you're not kicking your legs. You're using paddles to just help with technique. Then I'll do some drills, which are agonizing because you swim super slow and you make you feel like you're drowning, but it gets you better at your technique, right? So you, um, cause you only swim fast from pulling and being in like streamlined position, right? So propulsion and streamlined, anything outside of that, like any wrong movement, it's going to slow you down. So the drills help maintain good form, make sure you're, pushing the water the right way. And then there'll be a main set, which um, will have varied degrees of distance, speed, and then rest. And it's all designed to get you to race faster at whatever distance. So for an Ironman, it's 2.4 miles continuous, right? So it's gonna typically be longer sets than I think if I was trying to race a 50 meter freestyle. Um, but the whole thing takes like an hour to an hour 15. And for the most part, uh, it's just back and forth looking at a lean line. I don't enjoy that as much as I would enjoy. Like, I'd much rather just go swim for an hour and a half in the ocean and not have any structure and just, like, play. But that doesn't yield the fastest swim splits. Sure. Yeah. Now, is in the Ironman race, where will the swim take place? Uh, so Tulsa is the next one next month. It's in a lake. The one in Florida was in the Gulf of Mexico. And then in Kona, we swim in like Kailua, I think it's called Kailua Bay, which is, you know, in the Pacific Ocean somewhere off of uh, the shore. So growing up uh, in Ocean City, New Jersey, where I did, I was in the ocean, like since I was born all summer long, it feels like. So I had like a real sense for what the water does. Like I, there's a saying in swimming, like you feel the water and I feel the water really well, just having grown up in it. So even though I, I didn't swim a whole lot competitively, or for 10 years before I started triathlon, I just took to swimming really well. And especially in the open water, because I have no, um, I have a strong like appreciation for the danger of open water, but I don't fear it, right? Like I know my own limitation and my own insignificance in terms of what that water can do to me. But when I get in the water, I don't ever like panic like some people do. Interesting. Well, true. Yeah. I mean, I guess there's probably, there, there's way more external factors um, when you're, so for instance, like when you're running, it's like, sure, you could get hit by a car, but the likelihood of that is so slim. You probably don't think about it, mm -hmm. but there's just so many more things that can go wrong in the water that it's e probably easier to obsess about them. If you're somebody where that feels, where it feels out of place for you. Yeah. Well, imagine just being surrounded by a bunch of people, like your face is in water where you really can't see anything because most of like the lake swims or ocean swims on the East coast, it's going to be not clear water. So you can barely even like see your hand in front of you and you can't breathe as well. It, it, like it incites panic and your heart rate goes from, you know, chill 70, 80 beats to all of a sudden it's jacked up to almost like as high as it can be right away. And you go from standing to prone. Like there's a lot of things that like physiologically incite a little bit of panic. And if somebody's not ready for it or just doesn't handle it well, like it's like legitimately pretty scary. Oh, I can imagine. Well, my second question to kind of back that up a little bit is you're no longer in your early twenties anymore. So obviously recovery is going to be a huge part of this. And it's funny, like, I feel like there's this, uh, like on the graph as, as recovery goes down in terms of our body's natural ability to do it. Right. And, and, and at a certain speed, wisdom goes up, 
right? Mm -hmm. You make less dumb decisions. You're not like, you know, going for a bunch of beers right after your training session with the boys, you know, you're not like getting five hours of sleep at night because you can get away with it. Um, you know, how much effort and, um, emphasis do you put onto your recovery and what are some of the things that you do to make sure that that's a, a point of focus? I would say, uh, recovery is really important. The biggest two things that I've done is, um, eliminate alcohol and prioritize sleep. So top of mind for me always is like, I, I want to get to bed early and I don't like waking up. So I wake up around 5.45. So it's not like I'm sleeping in super late, but I also don't get up super early to train. Like that's just kind of my sweet spot. And um, like this Whoop band, I've been wearing Whoop for, uh, I don't know, 14 months and it's made a difference. Um, it kind of gamifies recovery for me. Like I, I try really hard to have a, like a high recovery score. So that's helped. And then I'm not necessarily good at like, uh, stretching or like massage work. I'd probably be a little bit better in terms of that recovery. But for me, it's just the time thing. You know, that's the only reason I don't, but age, certainly knowing your limitations as well. Like I'll listen to my body more than I would maybe even yeah. five, 10 years ago. For sure. Yeah. I, I wore a whoop for probably the better part of three years. And um, the only reason I'm not wearing it anymore is because now I have the Apple watch ultra and I don't want to have okay. two bands on my wrist and look like a total nerd. Um, <laughs> right. But I, I love, yeah, I love all the metrics. Oh, what's that? I'm sorry. No, I said, um, like, I, I, well, go ahead. I was just saying that, like I did, I absolutely loved like the sleep metrics associated with that. Yeah. Well, as I was gonna say, you don't even want to see your recovery score now with having a baby. It's probably. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, that was actually, that's a perfect point or segue to what I was going to talk about was like, I think one of the hard parts with, with an app and a, a wearable like whoop is that obviously there's some degree to some inaccuracy, but I think whoop is kind of like the, you know, the tip of the spear when it comes to uh, wearables for athletes. But with that said, you know, there is this, there is the, the, the subjective and, and mental piece to it, which is like, how does the data, right. Or, and the, the information it's giving you affect your perception of your training and recovery. So for instance, like, do you have, do you find it difficult or challenging when you have a day where you're like, I thought I slept well and you find yourself in the red. And then like, do you, does that force you to manipulate or change your training for the next day? Or you just go, you know what, I'll push through it. I, I wouldn't say that I ever change my training based on what it says. Um, I almost kind of know ahead of time what it's going to say, but more often than not though, um, it says it's better than it was very rarely. I'm like, man, I feel awesome. And then I look at it and it says like, I should like take the day off. Uh, that hardly ever happens. Usually it's the opposite. I wake up, I'm like, man, I'm, slept so bad. I'm so tired. There's no way I can train today. And then I'll be like, green, good to go. And I'm like, all right, dude, <laughs> suck it up. You got to go hit the, hit the, hit the training session. Yeah. Now are you doing, are you finding any other metrics outside of whoop? Are you doing any like DEXA scans? I know there's like inside tracker for blood panels. Are you doing any glucose testing? No. Um, again, not, not for a specific reason other than I haven't like all that stuff would be cool. Um, I think generally speaking, what I've found, like I don't take any supplements. Um, the, the biggest thing for me is just like, if I'm happy and excited about what I'm doing, then the product is really good. And anytime I get like too weird about something, and I'm not saying that stuff's weird, but for me, that would be like another thing I need to think about. Um, in addition to like 
you know, the stuff that I care the most about, like my wife and my daughters and my career and, you know, like providing for them. If I was adding in another metric, I think I would just, I would become a weirdo. So for me personally, yeah, yeah. I don't think it would be effective. I was just curious because to be quite honest with you, everyone that does endurance events, in my opinion, is a weirdo. <laughs> so <laughs> purely just because you got to have a little bit of psychopathy going on in order to want to go put yourself through that. Um, yeah. But all jokes aside, yeah, I mean, I, I, I just... I see that people become so like hyper-focused on all, all the metrics once they kind of get into that, that sphere. So I'll check back in with you in a few years. And we'll see <laughs> yeah. Then I'm like, up or pick up, up to like all these things. And <laughs> yeah, hooked up. yeah, exactly. Talk to me a little bit about your nutrition. What does that look like? Um, so I've been a big proponent of intermittent fasting for a long time. I don't know. I, I, I probably followed a pretty, I was gonna say pretty strict, but it's not very strict. Uh, but like a guideline of intermittent fasting, essentially just skipping breakfast. Ironman training has thrown that off quite a bit. One, cause um, I need way more carbs than I did when I was not doing Ironman. Like when I wasn't doing endurance stuff, uh, I actually ate pretty, pretty low carb. Now it's become higher carb just cause I'm burning so much more. I need like quick calories. Um, and then I generally just, and I would give anybody this advice is like, just choose the healthy option the majority of the time and don't eat past full. And for the most part, your nutrition is going to be okay. I would say uh, now that I'm working out more, I eat more as a natural byproduct. And I'd like to carry probably a little bit more um, body fat or overeat a little bit more than maybe I would otherwise when I'm in a high training cycle, because I think it helps me stay happier and also uh, less prone to like getting a cold or some sort of soft tissue injury. For sure. Yeah. I mean, it, I have always found that an interesting part of the conversation when you start talking about the, the very, very high end of, of athletics in that it, it doesn't, it's not advantageous to be as low body fat as you possibly can. Right. You know what I mean? And I, I think uh, Matt Frazier was on a podcast and, and spoke about that and it came to a to surprise for, for a lot of people, which was that he, he went into the games intentionally trying to carry a little bit of extra body fat, knowing that that is what was going to allow him to remain fueled in the later parts of the weekend. Because it, the reality is when you're doing two to five events a day, like you don't have the luxury of just being like, I'm going to go crush, you know, 4,000 calories in this, like, you know, of whole food right. two to three times a day. You know what I mean? Like you're buying, yeah. like you need, you're, you're, you're taking in what you can uh, and manage in between all of these events, plus the nerves, right. Plus like this, like, variant schedule. Um, and I'm sure with your, with the Ironman training, you feel very similar. Like it's probably harder to have these like whole foods, you know, five times a day. Yeah. It's just, it's, it, um, almost impossible. I don't want to say it's impossible because I want to think anything's impossible, especially something that I could control like diet, but, uh, yeah, it's very, very hard. And it's a lot easier to just eat like an English muffin with some butter and then feel really good than try to do it. Some other way. <laughs> Right. There's like a, a happiness component too, right? Like I, I like eating that food. So I'm going to. Absolutely. You know, it's funny. I don't know if you recall this at all, but back in like 2012, 2013, the paleo diet was like really, really like at the pinnacle of its popularity. And I would go to these local CrossFit competitions and you see people walking around with like sweet potatoes and uh, just, just like 
like all the foods that were listed under what was acceptable in the paleo diet. And I'm like, bro, that looks disgusting. <laughs> like yeah. you are absolutely, there's like a 50% chance you're throwing that up next event. Um, <laughs> like they're eating like canned yams cold. Like that's just not going to be good. <laughs> right. Well, and it's, it's just so funny. Cause now it's the opposite. Like you see the athletes walking around with like sour patch kids and Skittles and like, Sometimes they have pouches and stuff where they try to get a little bit more on the whole food side. But I guess pe people, people have lost that kind of dogmatic approach of like, I need to eat like a caveman. It's like a caveman wasn't doing the CrossFit games. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so, you know, in addition to all of this training that you're doing, um, you are a real estate agent in Florida as well, right? Correct. Yeah. Been doing that for uh, two and a half years. And you just recently broke into the top 100 in the state also. Yeah, in my Northeast Florida MLS. So there's 11,000 agents in the Jacksonville area. I was uh, in the top 100 this last, that's, you know, however. That's amazing. Thanks. Yeah, so how, how much of your um, kind of focus on success and tenacity for just wanting to continue and better yourself, do you think transferred from the athletic side of things to the business side? Uh, all of it, you know, I feel like just how, um, my college coach had a saying, you run the way you do because of the way you are. And like, you know, the way I am, like, I just want to do a good job. I think in anything that I say I'm going to do, uh, I want to try really hard. Um, this might be like a little bit of a people pleasing thing, but like, I want to exceed someone's expectations. I want them to be like, oh, well, John was really good at that. Whether it be triathlon as a real estate agent. When I was in my corporate job, like I was one of my bosses to think like, oh, wow, he's a really good employee. Like, I'm glad he's on my team. Um, I don't know if that's, uh, you know, it's probably like a work ethic thing as much as it is just, you know, I want to achieve things. And I took the same approach to real estate. It was a brand new career for me. Uh, I didn't do it before we moved to Florida. I did something completely different, related in some skill set ways that I carried that skill set over to real estate. But sales was completely new, you know, adopting a mindset of sales as service was completely new, uh, offering to help people uh, for a career that was new. So there are a lot of new things that I think were new um, from like a description standpoint, but weren't new from like who I am and what I've been doing my entire life. Yeah. Maybe some of those people pleasing tendencies are coming from your loneliness in your <laughs> Ironman training. Right. <laughs> you had a, a lane all uh, like just totally alone. I, and I do most of my training alone actually as well, which um, I don't know if that's uh, by design or just a circumstance of, you know, the, the situation, but that solitude I think is uh, a good thing for people. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, now you and I spoke, uh, you know, off mic about, your focus around confidence, not what just within yourself, but in, in helping others find that in their own lives. Why do you think it's, um, you know, a missing link for so many people? I think there's, um, a lot of, a lot of reasons for that. Like one is the fear of success. Like what's going to happen if I'm successful, right? They're scared of that. Then they're afraid of attempting it and failing. Right. So like that plays on it. They're afraid to be different because, it's a lot easier to just to fit into a mold where you're average, right? It's not hard to be average. That's why it's average. And anytime somebody wants to do something exceptional, it takes effort and risk. And those are two things that people generally are going to be averse to. Like if you ask somebody, hey, let's do something that's risky and really hard, probably gonna be like, uh, you know, there's a human nature component to be like, I think I'm going to stop. So whenever I work with somebody that wants to achieve something, whether it be like personal training, running coaching, life coaching, business coaching, I've done coaching of, of all different kinds. It usually 
comes down to the fact that whatever it is that they want to do is a little bit risky and it's going to be hard. So the thing that I can do the most with a coach is just to develop like an inner confidence that regardless of the outcome, right? Like you might not be in control of that, but what you can be in control of is like the attitude with which you approach it and the amount of effort you put into it. And if you take care of both of those things, most likely you'll be successful. But even if you're not, it's a success in the fact that you tried. And if it means a lot to you, just don't stop trying because eventually you will succeed. Yeah. Well, it's funny. You know, I always, in, in all my experiences with highly successful people, I think one of the things I've, I've come to appreciate is the fact that while the things that they do are hard, they're also rather simple. And what I mean by that is they've just focused so heavily on eliminating so many other things in their life that like their lives look rather simplistic, you know? So I, I would imagine that if we were to kind of zoom in on some of the stuff that you're doing, your day to day probably looks pretty simple because you've done such a good job of just like cutting out all of the things that don't matter to you. You know, you brought up the alcohol piece and I would imagine there's, you know, some other things that you could lump in there of things where you're just like, this isn't for me or at least not right now. Yeah. And, um, you know, like we, we talked a little bit about different measures of, uh, like glucose, the DEXA scan, all of that, like you could apply that same sort of like thinking like that's going to move monitoring that stuff will move the needle very small compared to like sleeping well and working hard when it's time to work hard. And I think I, I've seen that in other agents. So like, oh, well, should I do Zillow lead? Should I market this way? Should I invest in search engine? How many times should I post on Instagram? That's all just a distraction from like picking up the phone and calling somebody or going and having like a really good conversation with somebody over coffee and like developing a connection. Like they always, um, I feel like people in general always want some external way that's going to be like super hard and move the needle very low. When if you keep it simple and just work hard at that, it's going to be way more um, uh, fruitful. Yeah, I forget who had this quote, but he was basically saying uh, everyone that we see in our lives or, or that exists in the world that we, we view as a hero, he's like, they may have done something heroic, but they're just average people who have ruthlessly removed everything from their life other than the thing that you associate them as heroic. Oh, that's good. And I just thought that was like such like a cool framing because I was like, it just, it's the perfect depiction of how someone is able to accomplish something that is just immaculate or, or, you know, very on average. Right. And it's like, it's only because of the fact it has more to do with the fact that they've removed everything else and become so passionate and fixated on this one thing than it is to say about their specific strategy on, uh, on going after the, the thing that they pursue. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and a lot of people don't realize that being successful at something usually takes a lot of time and a lot of consistency. And like, if you consistently work hard over a long period of time, whatever it is you're working hard at, you'll most likely be successful at. You just got to let time and consistency do its thing. Yeah. I mean, this is all such great advice. Um, if you could talk to uh, teenage John now, what would you tell him <laughs> uh, in terms of advice of, of how to be confident? Um, that's an interesting question. Cause I want to be like, Hey man, like things are going to be pretty cool. Like if I like 19 year old or 18 year old was looking up 20 years, I feel like I'd be like, Oh wow. Hey, good job. Future John. Like, I'm happy with that. I'd take that. Uh, so I don't know, man, if I knew now what I knew then, I would probably say eliminate some of the distractions that I let, the, the things that just I thought were important at the time, like really weren't. Like I probably would never um, 
like if I could go back to college, right? I, I don't think I would party as much as I did. I don't think I would, um, I think I'd treat um, some uh, like, I was a lifeguard in Ocean City. So I probably wasn't like the best boyfriend. Um, like, like <laughs> I, I think I would just be like, like, hey man, like be more honorable, be a nicer person, uh, focus on healthier habits. Cause all that stuff was just seemed fun in the short term, but it was not like important at all. Yeah. I, you know, I have a tough time with that one as well, because part of me feels the exact same way you do. And then the other part of me is like, yeah, but the other way to find good ideas is to make a lot of bad ideas, yeah. right? Or, or like to find a lot of bad ideas. Right. And it's, it's easy in hindsight, you know, what's, what's the saying? It's like, uh, like hindsight is science. Uh, the, the future is mystery. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's easy to kind of go back and dissect our past and be like, Oh, I should have done X, Y, and Z and avoided a B and C. And it's like, well, yeah, of course. Right. Like, <laughs> right. like your 85 year old self would be giving you similar advice right now, Yeah, um, which is why it's always interesting. So here's a, here's a fun, you know, reframing flip is it's like, what would 85 year old John give advice to you now? What would he tell you now? I would think that he would say, keep doing what you're doing. Like it's clearly working, um, adopt the same principles. Uh, you know, you alluded to like keeping it simple, eliminate distractions, focus on what matters. I was thinking about this, um, in my journal, like the other day, it's like, what would five years of showing up consistently working hard, like honoring God, honoring my family, like what would the residual effect of that for five years be? And that's like a pretty simple thing. When you think about it, doing it for one day, like, you know, eat well, work hard, go to sleep early. Um, treat people with respect, you know, and then professionally do the things that lead to success, right? Like on one small day that might not be yield like this huge outcome, but five years of that would be like tremendous. So imagine uh, if you consistently did it for 20 years and like the, what might change for me, you know, I, I might not be selling real estate. Maybe I'm, you know, leading a company or uh, I, I start a company. I have no idea what I'll be doing 10, 20 years from now, but like, hopefully I approach the day the same way that I do now. So hopefully if the 85 year old could speak, if John could speak to me right now, he'd say like, Hey man, just keep, keep doing what you're doing. Even if it's not working in the immediate moment. So you, you could wrap all that up into like appreciate longer time horizons. Absolutely. Like, so we've talked a lot about fitness and Ironman and like, that's currently what I'm training for or like what I'm competing. And I don't even want to say it's what I'm training for because what I'm training for and, um, I've thought a lot about this and I remind myself of it all the time is a game of tag with my great grandchildren. Like I want to be 85 years old going up the playground and down the slide, like chasing like a four-year-old. And, um, you know, I, I think business wise or like professionally, like I want to be a guy that's like 60 years old and you probably know somebody like this who has a ton of time and a ton of money and is insanely generous with both of them. And you have no idea what he does for a living. You're like, I don't know. He's like super smart. He's got a lot of money. He met me for coffee and it was awesome. Well, and the hope is that at that point, you know, the thing that they do for a living really just is something they're incredibly passionate about mm -hmm. and they have enough money in the right places to where it's earning enough money on its own to where they're able to give back, live the life they want and be able to provide in a way that, you know, makes them feel successful. I mean, yeah, that's, that's the hope, right? That's the mm -hmm. ultimate dream. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. That's the funny thing about health span, right? And then financial wealth. It's like, I don't, I don't think that there's 
any, no one has like differing views on like what they actually want with those things, right? Like, let me rephrase that. Like, I think the differences are actually rather minuscule in terms of like what the dream outcome would be. Um, so like, for instance, like nobody wants to be like 65 and like scrounging for cash. Mm -hmm. Right. And like, nobody wants to be 65 and bedridden, you know? So it's, but like, in terms of like the stories we tell ourselves of the exact thing we want to be able to do, that may differ a little bit. So for instance, in your case, like being able to play tag with your grandchildren, it gives you a very specific example of something that you want to be physically capable of doing. Like you can visualize that. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that right there is, is the heart of what is going to allow you to reach it is, is like being able to attribute it or attach it to a story. Right. Because again, it's like how James Clear always says, like everyone has the same goal of accomplishing something. So for instance, like if you run a, a, a hundred meter race in the Olympics, like everyone wants to win, but it's the processes that uh, we go through and that are going to determine whether we get there or not. And I think that what is going to ultimately allow us to stick to the process and be consistent, especially when times are tough, is the, the clarity of the story we tell ourselves about why it's important to us. Right. No, that's really well said. And attaching that imagery, like I, I visualize this, right? Myself at 85 on a playground with my great grandkids, like that is super motivating. And I don't have any pathway to get there. It's not like I'm literally training for that. Like I'm not playing tag right now. Uh, well, I am, but <laughs> I play tag with my kids, but not like I want to get good at tag, but that like just gives me hope that it can happen. And the same way, like I envision, you know, 65 year old John pouring into like a 25 year old that wants some life advice or wants to talk to somebody that's wise, like that motivates me. And I think with goals, a lot of people want to get super specific on like a number or, or something like this. And that might work for short-term goals, but like long-term wise, I think it's like you said, create a story around who it is that you want to be and like the what and how is going to figure itself out. Yeah. Right. I always say like, it's not the perfect path. It's the right direction. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. So you are, aside from the business, aside from all of your training, you are very family oriented. And you had mentioned that you spend far more time than you would like to admit in <laughs> Disney World. Yeah. So, it's an embarrassing what, amount. It's an embarrassing amount. Yeah. So what, what has uh, propelled you to do that? Are your kids obsessed with it? Or is it something for you and, and your wife that you wanted to, um, uh, like that you wanted to provide for the kids? Yeah. So we got, when we moved to Florida, we went to Disney and it was shortly after COVID and, and things opened up, which was great in Florida. Things were, were open and we went to Disney World and it was really fun. And it was like a really, and part of us moving to Florida was that we wanted to focus on like our nuclear family, make like really strong bonds there and really like raise our kids in a place that like has our values that we could be like outside a lot. So Disney World represented a lot of like this family centric thing that we wanted to do. And then we got Disney annual passes and I made a goal that I wanted to spend 30 days in the park. Uh, I wanted to have 30 park days in the year that we had the annual pass. And it wasn't anything specific about 30. The main thing was like, I knew that if we spent 30 days in the park, one, we were spending a lot of time as a family. Two, like financially, I was in a good spot because I'm not like financially reckless. I wouldn't do that unless I could afford it, right? I wasn't just like racking up a credit card to pay for it. And then three, like that would be an enjoyable memory. And I know that I have a small window with my daughters. They're six and seven right now before they're into sports. And like that's dictating the schedule. And that, that could be like a whole nother podcast on like youth sports. <laughs> um, but before they, they dive into that 
And while they still think mommy and daddy are amazing and we're awesome and they, they love us to death and want to spend all their time with us, like I might have two or three years. So my wife and I were talking about it. It's like, why don't we just pour into this? And it's a fun thing. They're always excited to go. We always have a good time. Let's do it. So this is year two of annual passes. I don't know that we'll get 30 again. Um, that was, like I said, like, like excessive. Um, but it's a, it's a lot of fun, man. It, it, we create memories that we talk about all the time. We know all the ins and outs. So if somebody's watching this, like, hey, I got a Disney trip coming up, just message me. I'll tell you all, all the ways to make it work. No, hey, good for you for for realizing, you know, just how precious these next few years are. I think as parents, I think that's been like, out of all the advice that I continue to get, I think that's the advice that I take in the most is just genuinely appreciate each window for what it is because yeah. it's going to bring its own challenges, but also its own joy and happiness. And it's not something that you can get again. You know, I think of it almost like it's like your, it's like your wedding, right? Mm -hmm. Like you get that moment and you better take it in because unless you plan on <laughs> remarrying six times over yeah, right. and I get can promise it's probably right. It's probably not going to be nearly as special every other time. Like <laughs> right. you get returns. Right. Like you get your moment, you know, and I think mm -hmm. with kids, it's the same thing. And, and we have to be careful not to wish it away when we're going through some of the challenges because they are ultimately what make the, the, the more joyous occasions and uh, memories that much better. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you made a good point. Like each age, like I love my daughters more every day than I did the day before. Like that, that love grows. My enjoyment with them has grown exponentially with their ages, but every age represented like a, um, a new thing. Like I saw you posted a picture of, of you with your daughter this morning. It was like, like, she's a newborn, obviously. Like I miss that. I don't miss necessarily a newborn, but I miss that with my daughters, right? Seeing them at that Wait, age. Listen, I'll fly you up here. You, you can, I'll give you the 3 a.m. wake up. <laughs> but it's important not to wish it away because it, it's gone literally in a blink of an eye. And people say that about like, oh, you're, and they said that when they were little and, you know, I, just breezed right through it. And they say that now about six, seven, eight, and then it's going to be teenagers, right? That's always going to go quick. So slowing it down, yeah. taking in for the moment is really important. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I've said this before on podcasts, but the best advice I've ever gotten in terms of like, if you want to slow time down, you need novel and intense experiences. And mm. you're definitely getting them at Disney World. Right. Disney World is always, if anybody's like, hey, what's Disney like? It's always expensive. It's always overwhelming. It's always like annoying in some kind of way, but you always leave being like, man, I just can't wait to get back. <laughs> it's really That's such a funny description of this day world. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I wonder how, how that would do on a commercial for them. <laughs> hey, as long as they go back, people at Disney's probably happy. Yeah. Well, hey, John, thanks so much for getting on the podcast. I, I really appreciate this. Um, tell the audience where they can learn more about you. Yeah. So, um, my website for my real estate business has got kind of a, a mix of a couple of things that I'm into, but it's lovethefloridalife.com. So L-O-V-E-T-H-E-F-L-O-R-I-D-A-L-I-F-E, lovethefloridalife.com. And then on Instagram, it's John Richardson FL. Awesome. Well, hey, this was a blast, dude. I mean, I, I thought our uh, our 20 minute conversation leading up to this was amazing. And this this topped it a hundredfold. Yeah, man, it's really enjoyable. I, I could uh, talk all day about sports life, dad, all of it. Yeah. Well, I, I think we already kind of uh, previewed the, the, the next conversation. Maybe we can talk youth sports and <laughs> right? some of the, the, the pros and cons of all that and, yeah, absolutely. and uh, where that's headed. So, hey, John, thanks again for hopping on. Thanks, Derek. I appreciate it.
If you feel like the gym is one big, confusing, and intimidating playground, a personalized coach from Hardbat Athletics can work with you remotely to help match your goals to an actionable plan. You'll get workout videos and descriptions and have access to coaching calls to make adjustments when you need them. Let us take the guesswork out of your fitness and nutrition. Visit www.hardbatathletics.com to chat with a coach today.